Welcome to Comic Talkers, where comics are always the top of our discussion. I'm Mary. And I'm Brandon. And we are continuing on with our Boom Studios month. And just like last month for Image Comics, we are once again pitching a comic that we would love to see Boom Studios do. Um, we are also, this time we did plan five minutes before we started recording to pitch a creative team um, for these books, <laughs> unlike last time. Um, and so Brandon's going to start us off with his pitch, and then I'm going to follow up with mine. Yeah, so I've said it before. If after, or not Aftershock, if Boom Studios is good at one thing, they're good at doing mystery or storylines. Why we love Something's Killing the Children. That's why we love books like Irredeemable, where you don't know what's actually happening, but it's horror because, again, you got a character like Superman who can torment and tyrant, become a tyrant of the world. Um, but you also know Mary and I are big fans of history. So where I'm going to set the story is at the Battle of the Bulge. Um, if anybody does not know what the Battle of the Bulge is, it lasted from December 1944 to January 1945. This is one of the last big battles between the two um main allied forces and axis forces on the western front um before the invasion of berlin uh, this is one of the one of the more important battles that takes place um, a lot of units were involved including the 101st airborne so on and so forth 101st airborne is where i would like to focus my story on because i am a huge fan of the 101st um you guys don't know who that is please go watch a show called band of brothers You'll get a whole story. You read the book about Band of Brothers. You will love it. Phenomenal. Um, but they're an airborne unit. Um, pretty much got their first set of action the night or the morning, early morning of June 6, 1944, which everybody knows as D-Day. Um, but they are in the Bardem Forest. Um, these guys... It was between American soldiers versus um, the Nazi Germany soldiers. Um, the battle did start on December 16th uh, as the German army launched a counteroffensive uh, that was intended to cut through the Allied forces in a manner that the world turned the tide of the war um, in the Nazis' favor, but that didn't happen, and the battle was dragged out pretty long. Um, but the Allies did come out on top and allowed them to get through Belgium, um, which was a pretty big part right there in the nutshell. Uh, I want to set this in Bastogne, Belgium, um, in the forest, because I have a creature I want to introduce. And this is going to be a horror story. Um, it is something called the Clued. Um, there's other names for it. I know, Mary, I've talked with you before. You want to kind of announce the other name that it's known as? Yeah, so the one I always heard it um, referred to as is the the Vatercleda. Vatercleda. Um, and that's W-A-T-E-R-K-L-E-D-D-E. -E. <laughs> so um, according to what we see here, it is supposedly a big dog that walks on his hind legs with heavy candy bracelets. He has bear claws, a black mog, um, green scales on his bat wings on his back, and crimson colored emo eyes. Um, there are rumors that he is a uh, like a child terror where he actually pulls children into the water. That's not where I'm going with the story, and that's because there's there's so much about this guy that we don't know. One thing we do know is he's known to shapeshift. 
where I'd like to set it is in the forest during this battle, where all of a sudden you hear screams from the distance. And we don't know what's happening. And every night there seems to be a different scream. You're going to hit the first issue where you're kind of setting up the battle and everything. And what I would like to do is at the end of that, you hear the first scream. And by issue four, you're going to see, or it, by the end of issue four, maybe start of issue five, you're going to see the clued in the eyes of an American soldier. This, I want to make it a six-issue arc. Um, I don't think you need more than six issues for this. It could be even less. It could be a five-issue arc. But I would love Grant Morrison to do it because I kind of think he's wacky as it is. And he would be good to tell the clue story. Now, why I say the clue is interesting because, like we said, he's a shapeshifter. So he can change to ravens, snakes, cats, frogs, bats, and even trees is he's known for. So you imagine standing right there and you don't know what's there. And then here comes the monster. That's kind of where I want to pitch it a little bit more. And who I would love to have do the artwork is from one of my favorite stories. Um, it's Brian Hurt, and he draws the Six Gun artwork. Um, he does a lot of other work, but I love his artwork, and I think it would work really well with the story I'm trying to go with. Um, Mary, what do you think about my pitch there? I this is like the second time now that you've decided that you're going to bring folklore into a war story and I love the concept um again I'm not super big on World War II which is um again I did work for a World War II oral history project so uh bold words <laughs> um it's it's a really interesting concept because we don't so much World War One, there's all of these stories of like fantastical folkloric elements to these battles, but we don't so much get that in World War Two, and the Battle of the Bulge specifically is so mythologized in of itself that adding in another mythological aspect is a really interesting pitch. Now, just to confirm, the Bardem Forest is one of the main areas of the Battle of the Bulge. Going through Belgium, that is the main area. Um, and Bastogne is really the city that we're in is Bastogne, but they're in the forest area. And it's, it's just, I, when I came up, I remember again, this was something I almost pitched for image. And then I went with the angels of Mons because I figured that is something that they've never really tackled. And I went, Hey, I'll put clued off for boom studios because either that or dark horse, but I, Dark Horse has got a lot of horror characters. kind of want to do something different for that. So, but I kind of figured when it came to this, like we said, have a six-issue arc. Um, no more than that. I don't think you need any more than that. But I would love to do it in the eyes of an American soldier or American paratrooper. Um, what was it? To kind of see the screams and the horrors that's going on. And he'd be the first one that sees the clue from the American's eyes. You know, so that the clue is not on one side or the other. You're messing with his forest. You better get out. So we're going to see how this monster really happens in it, too. If the American soldier is going to be able to take him down. Think of it as an alternate history storyline mixed with mythology. And so that's where I'm going to pitch it. Um, I'm going to give it over to Mary 
pitch her storyline? So mine is also rather folklore focused and also history focused. Mine's also a period piece. Um, although mine has a little more documentary evidence to this thing existing. <laughs> um and and so I am sort of pitching a what I'm picturing to be a six to eight issue arc. Um depending on how it's taken, it could even go longer. Um, focusing on my favorite local cryptid, which is dead because it got blown up in a shine still. <laughs> um, and I am, of course, talking about the Snallygaster, um, which Brandon doesn't know anything about. So I'm going to describe the Snallygaster. Oh, um, you're not going to know anything yet. We're just going to look over the the physical descriptions of this creature and i want you to know in all sincerity i do believe this was real okay all right okay are you ready yep i'm ready all right so essentially the snallygaster is a dragon but it's no, no it's not like a dragon you have ever heard about before okay it has one eye okay a horn just one horn one horn okay it has tentacles that trail behind it. That's already disturbing, but okay. A 25-foot wingspan. Oh, boy. A beak and talons. Okay. A long rubber hose-like neck. Okay. It sneezes fire. Okay. It smells like sulfur. And depending on who you ask and these are people that all saw it keep in mind these are all eyewitness reports um although technically there are two snallygasters um it can talk or it screeches like a locomotive whistle that is a direct quote like a locomotive whistle from a newspaper where eyewitness eyewitnesses were interviewed about the, there is no accurate art of this thing online by the way Um, and all of those traits were confirmed by eyewitness reports from three different counties and um, people, including game wardens, who were being interviewed about what this thing looked like. Okay, so one question <laughs> is where, okay, so I'm just, okay, I'm, I'm imagine him in my head or her, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. We know one of them was a her. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, that makes me even more terrified. Um, the horn location, is it on the head or where is it located? Uh, on the head. On the head, like right front center, like a unicorn? Kind yep, of? like a unicorn. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, now my question is, what are you going to do with them? Or this? Creature? All right, so... The Snallygaster is a really interesting sort of creature. Um, so technically, the first sightings of it can be traced to the late 18th century, but the most eyewitness accounts we get that aren't so much this mythologized, like, oh, there's a dragon. Um, the eyewitness accounts that we really get and the more documentary evidence that we get is from the early 20th century, so the early 1900s. 
Um, according to some people, it is the reincarnation of a Civil War soldier. <laughs> um, but no one really knows where it came from. And so the name for this monster comes from the German words Schnellegeist, which means quick spirit or fast ghost. Um, originally, it mostly came at night, stole animals. Um, and the seven-pointed star, which is a really common um, figure here for like hex signs, and it's often in barns and brickwork, um, is used as like a protective ward against it. And so the first real reported sighting of this is in 1909 in... Um, a town about 30 minutes away from me. <laughs> and um, supposedly it grabbed a man, lifted him into the air, sucked the blood from his body, and tossed it aside. And from that point, accounts are starting to pour in from four different counties across three states. And none of these people knew each other. And a lot of these people did not even have access to the newspapers that were being printed in the county where the first sighting was. Okay. And most of these sightings were in broad daylight. Um, we also find out at this point that the dragon is bulletproof. <laughs> Because a man named um, George Jacobs, who is from who is from my county seat, tried to shoot at it, and the bullets bounced off. So here's the real question at this point: And how did they kill it? Well, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. <laughs> we're still on the first Alligaster. There's two of them. <laughs> Give me a minute. Um, Remind me not to sound... be in your area, please. The, oh, the, oh, it's dead. It's for sure dead. Um, but the Salagaster uh, got mad, chased Jacobs across the field to a stable, and was snapping at his neck the whole way. Um, and at this point, monster hunting sort of became like a local pastime. Everyone was like, I want to get that. We already know it's bulletproof, but that does not stop the locals. Um, and um, there is an article from the Smithsonian that claims that they're interested in acquiring a specimen. Um, we're pretty sure that is fake, but we do know that Theodore Roosevelt at one point did consider putting off an African safari to hunt the Snallygaster. And the government was thinking about sending a the National Guard in with a Gatling gun. <laughs> a Gatling gun. Like, I a know what a Gatling gun. gun is. It's just... Mm -hmm. no, never mind. <laughs> yeah, we know it's bulletproof. Again, it doesn't stop anyone from trying to shoot at it. Yeah. Um, and then, and this is sort of where we get, so like, for first, we are all like, oh yeah, this is like a German spirit, right? The area is very German. It's incredibly German. This is a German spirit. But then things get weird. Because then, then we see the Sallygaster, um, who's sighted by a brick kiln worker um, who's hanging off a water tub for their boiler, and that it drank most of the water, and then supposedly, according to multiple eyewitnesses, proclaimed, my, I'm dry, I haven't had a good drink since I was killed in the battle at Chickamauga. <laughs> Which, of course, is a civil war battle from September of 1863, which was an 
East, Eastern Tennessee and Western Georgia, which in today's cars and highway system is a good 10 hours from where the Sally was at that moment. Um, rumors started floating around that the Sally Gaster had laid eggs in the mountains. Um, someone in Sharpsburg, Maryland, which is where the Battle of Antietam was, proclaimed that they had found an egg and they were trying to hatch it. Um, and it was unclear whether the Sally laid one egg or multiple eggs. But we also knew that another local cryptid, the Dwyo, which is kind of like a wolf man, he doesn't do a whole lot. He's just kind of there. But he and the Salagaster at this point became mortal enemies because he wanted to eat the eggs. Mm -hmm. um, and this is around the time we found out that the biggest incident in the Salagaster's whole career is sort of happening now. Just um, at a train station where the Salagaster swooped down and tried to carry off a man by his suspenders. Um, the guy's friend grabbed his feet and pulled. There was a <laughs> a fight that lasted about an hour um, where a lot of citizens joined in, including someone with a gun. This is where we get the accounts of the Sally Gaster sneezing fire. And this is broken up by the local game warden who showed the Sally Gaster his badge, which then drove it off. Oh. Um, again, this is like a really, a really weird theme. And then after that altercation at the train station, the Sally Gaster disappears for 23 years. Okay. No sightings, nothing. Not even rumors. Just vanishes for 23 years. Um, popular theory is that it was going off to hatch with its eggs, or maybe it was tired of dealing with people. We don't really know. <laughs> Um, but then the Salagaster resurfaced in 1932 um, and was seen gliding around in um, South Mountain National Park. It's theorized that this was the child of the old Salagaster who had hatched and grown in the last 23 years. This one was um, more energetic, could supposedly change colors, and everyone viewed it as extremely suspicious as they thought it was biding its time. Um, of course, this is during Prohibition. And um, this is where we get in um, the Morning Herald's newspaper headline that reads, death of Snallygaster is reported, accounts differ. Um, Snallygaster had also been referred to at multiple times as a bova lupus. Um, and um, as we've learned, the Snallygaster likes to drink. Um, this one, this new one, like a illegal but well-known distillery in Frog Hollow, which is near Sharpsburg, it fell into a 2,500-gallon bat of moonshine and drowned while trying to get a good drink. The workers freaked out and called the police. Do you know how freaked out you have to be to call the police to your 2,500-gallon illegal vat of moonshine during Prohibition? <laughs> Um, the police showed up and they were so scared by the corpse of the Snallygaster that they stuffed the distillery full of TNT and blew it up. Why? <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, this is, this is one of the weird things where, like, 
yeah, there's a lot of eyewitness accounts. The descriptions all match each other. A lot of these sightings happened in broad daylight, covers an extremely large area, and there haven't been any sightings since the supposed reported death. Um, of course, this is also a literal dragon that could speak and breathe fire. Um, and one of the most interesting things about the Snallygaster to me is that um, the Snallygaster is like no one knows where it came from but there are all these different theories and so what i'm sort of pitching for this book now that i've explained to you what this is <laughs> um which i know i have to because it's a very local thing <laughs> um is sort of looking at the snallygaster through the eyes of different locals from different walks of life who have different understandings of where this terrifying creature is from and why it's there. And so sort of piecing together the mystery of this creature from all of these different perspectives as narration changes between the people that's giving the perspective. So we're sort of seeing the evolution of it. Um, with the first sightings in 1909, and then that 23 year pause, what happens in that pause? And when we come back during prohibition and how do these threads either unravel or just get cut when it dies and everything sort of dies down? Like how does a how does an area that's been terrorized by this thing react to sudden confirmation of its death? You know, like there's a lot of really interesting things that you can do looking at the locals and their interactions with the Snallygaster, especially like how willing everyone was to fight it. <laughs> um, and it would just be also a really interesting way to add, um, we get a lot of like early 20th century, like period stuff about like major cities, um, but we don't so much get it into like rural areas. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be a really interesting glimpse into that while also being able to look at this really interesting bit of folklore that is so regionally specific. Now, how many issues would you pitch at this point? Um, I was thinking six to eight. Six to eight. Um, and my creative team for this, I know I said in my top five comics that um, Colin Bunn and Jonas Shark are my dream team. And Colin Bunn is the person I want to be writing this book, but I would prefer in this particular instance, Dan Mora to be the artist just based on his work in Once and Future because I know he can achieve the kind of art style that I think would work best with the Snallygaster. Okay. Okay, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see where you're going to go with this. I'm, I would read this comic. This character, this creature looks terrifying. Or looks, or the way you, just how I'm perceiving it, it's just like, no, I wouldn't want to deal with that. I wouldn't want to move your area at this point because I'd be scared out of my mind. Um, I'd be like, where's the Galagaster? Or, you know, or Scalagaster. I'm like, <laughs> searching all over the place. Don't go at night, kids. I'm staying in. <laughs> but no, this is why I love this stuff, because we kind of see how we look at things and how we perceive it, and to kind of enjoy seeing some of this really go down. Um, but yeah, I think this is a great way to end this podcast. Um, check us out on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Comic Talk to get all the latest updates. Let us know what you would pitch to um, 
Boom Studios or what do you and let us know what you think about our picks and what our pitches are and would you read them. Um, and if you would like me to find the actual news articles about this Natalie Gaster, I would be happy to read those on my own channel. <laughs> <laughs> but also, yeah, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the bell notification so you never miss an episode. Check us out on our normal podcast, Comic Talkers. And you are on Spotify for podcasters, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and so many other platforms at Comic Talkers. And um, without further ado, my name is Brandon. And I'm Mary. I mean, comics always be the top of your discussion.